welcome back. This is We Met in a Tavern, and we are uh, we are on episode six, and um, joined by a very special friend of mine. Um, Hello. This is a podcast where we we focus on character building uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, but role playing uh, in uh, RPGs in general, and we try to talk about all the stuff that doesn't necessarily come out at the table, since there's not always time when you're kind of squashing a bunch of goblins to talk about your uh, your deep seated hatred for your father and how that influenced <laughs> why you didn't revive the rogue during the battle. <laughs> you know all the details. Oh, and cats. There we go. Um, so, uh, before we dive straight in, um, would you like to introduce yourself, uh, my very special guest and, uh, and good friend of, of a long time at this point? <laughs> yes, uh, my name is Ellen. We have been friends for 10 years now, which is oh. shocking. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, we have, we connected over Red Wine and Broadway, and then that turned into connecting over travel and nerd. Um, yes, I have always been interested with D&D. Didn't start playing until my late 20s. Um, but always loved fantasy, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all that. So it was just a natural next step to fully embrace the original fantasy nerdum, Not counting Tolkien. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Tolkien uh, uh, effect on on D and D clearly, right. <laughs> as, as I'm sure we'll we'll touch on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, you loosely mentioned it, but um, but the most important question is is what are we drinking? Because it is a Sunday. It is a beautiful day out, at least in at least in New England. Uh, I'm not sure about Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, yes, I should say that we. I am in Oklahoma. You are in New Hampshire. So um, long distance podcast, which is always fun. But yes, we are drinking red wine because, of course, we are. <laughs> I <laughs> Specifically, mean, it was the very first conversation I think that we truly had was over red wine on a floor in Wakefield. So <laughs> technically, I think it was at the table first, and then it went to the floor. That is fair. <laughs> but yes, yes we were sitting about... Indian style. Like it was not a you know we didn't we weren't past that on the floor or anything. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, we were we were still <laughs> conscious. We just didn't have time to make it to the couch. So yes, no. Cheers. Cheers. It took I'm a lot right. of energy for me to not drink any of the wine before we started the podcast. It's been like staring at me for a while. <laughs> oh, I I pre-gamed with it last. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, I it's I it was nice weather. I pre-gamed with a run, which is insane. But oh, why? Um, <laughs> But all right, so we're in the tavern. We've got our drinks. Most important. Um, mm-hmm. I try to start the first couple questions out more like small talk. You know, you know, you're not quite a, uh, you know, uh, lubricated enough yet. You know, <laughs> gotta get gotta get the gears going. Um, you, I, actually, you're a pretty interesting guest on this podcast. Um, you're and you're one of the first. Uh, you're fairly new to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yes. Not necessarily to role playing games, but um, but so I ask this question and feel free to flavor any of the. F- Further questions as the I'm a new player, I don't do this much. Uh, what are your favorite characters to play? Uh, this can be about classes, races, um, on, it can just be styles of character, but um, but what do you like to play? Elves. Uh. <laughs> okay, okay, now I gotta stop because now this is the second time, the first three episodes, the first batch, all clerics. Second batch, 
all elves. I don't know what it is. I just keep making well, like weird. <laughs> I'm just gonna double down on that because currently I am an elf cleric. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we, we have hype on this podcast. <laughs> Apparently. Um, but no, so my first RPG video game was Skyrim, and that was actually my first real video game. Period. Um, but I've always loved elves. I've always loved um, their arrogance, their beauty, their prophetic powers, just kind of everything about them. Um, so my very first character in my very first video game was a high elf mage. Um, and then I just kind of, I just stuck with that um, for the past, well, Skyrim came out 11 years ago, which I don't talk about. Um, <laughs> We're getting old, Ellen. <laughs> I know, we are. I had to say late 20s when I was answering some of your questions. Um, but yeah, so I'm currently a wood elf cleric. Um, and that just was kind of because I am new to D&D, I wanted to stick with something that I semi-knew. So I stuck with elves and I wanted to be a healer character that didn't, that wasn't only a healer. Um, so my DM suggested cleric. So I would have not just healing spells and other spells to do. So I am a, right now, a wood elf cleric mage. Perfect. No, and as and as anyone who listened to the first three episodes will know, clerics are uh, so multifaceted. It is it is ridiculous. There are mm -hmm. so many ways to play them, and more often than not, they somehow become the tank of the party because oh, they yeah. wear heavy armor and they can smash things when they want to. Yes. Funny story <laughs> about heavy armor. Um, mm. It was probably second session, third session, so I knew nothing. Um, I tried to sneak without knowing chainmail causes a disadvantage to stealth. Uh, it did not go well. I think I, I think my <laughs> first roll was like a 14, which I was like, okay, cool. And then DM was like, no, roll again. You're at disadvantage. And then I rolled a four or something. Definitely a single digit. And he's like, yeah, so you trip and drop your sword, and all the goblins come rushing towards you. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you would not be the first uh, cleric with uh, essentially, like, bad stealth on this podcast. So <laughs> it is what it is. They get so many bonuses, they have to be bad at something. Yes. <laughs> it's now become a running uh, joke that anytime we're trying to sneak. Um, my character's name is Rena Tara, nicknamed Rena. Um, but yeah, when it comes to when we're trying to sneak, everyone is like, Rena Tar to the back. See, I think you want to put you in the middle and like, you know, that way you can be like a sound cloud around them. <laughs> True. But I do have a bow, so back works. So, uh, the next question, but it's a question I know, not a question people, uh, listening know. Um, who was your first character you played? <laughs> and then the follow-up therefore would be, who is your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I've only played two characters, so this is a pretty easy question. My first <laughs> character, I intruded on one of your campaigns, because it was the only night we could see each other. Um, I was planning on just hanging out, drinking wine, and watching, but then you guys were very kind and let me intrude. So that was, and I'm going to not spoil things, because she's technically still alive in your campaign... Ah, <laughs> but <laughs> um, if you want to put yourself go away and bring in the DM of that, then I will spoil things. 
But I uh, know she, her name is Alana. Um, she is an elf. I don't even know if you know what type of elf she is, so I'm not going to say it, but she is an elf. Um, and she was fun, but I didn't really form any connection with her because I played with her for, what, three, four hours? Something like that, yeah. Um, however, my very first role in all of D&D was a nat 20. So <laughs> that was cool. Yes, um, she levitated a horse that she was pinned under and safely put it down. Um, so that's one of my favorite memories of D&D, but my current favorite character is my current player because I have been playing her for about a year now and have been able to fully flesh out. So she, as I mentioned, is a wood elf cleric. Her name is Rena Tara, which translates as lofty crown in one or two Tolkien languages. Um, and I just went full arrogant with her name. Um, she is a noble-born. She started out, she left her woodland palace cleric library because she was 200 years old and bored to tears. Which, for people who don't know elves, 200 years old basically equals 20 in human years. So she's young, um, impatient by elf standards, very patient by human standards. Uh, and yeah, she just wants a little bit of adventure. I mean, and and that's D and D right there. That's <laughs> most of us just want a little adventure, right? All right. Well, so uh, kind of just following right into that, it's always smooth when the favorite character is the character we're going to talk about. Yes, it's um, convenient. Usually goes hand in hand. Not always, um, <laughs> especially for I would say some of the people that we've had on that uh, that DM more often. You can definitely have a favorite character that isn't maybe the one that you that you're going to be able to talk about on an episode like this. Mm -hmm. um, but so, uh, so we're talking about Rena. Um, yes. We're in the tavern. Uh, she walks in. Um, what, what do people see? Uh, you know, just kind of that, that intro, like first five minutes, you're sitting at the table and everyone in your, it's your turn. And like, what do people see when your character enters the room? Yes. So depending on the tavern, odds are, I'm going to assume it's majority human patrons. Um, so she does stick out like a sore thumb because she is five, nine, flaming red hair, purple eyes, wearing full heavy armor with the emblem of Salune front and center, um, which is Salune is the moon goddess. Her emblem kind of creepy, not going to lie. It's an eye with, I believe, seven stars around it. Um, <laughs> So she doesn't even try to hide because she has just learned people are going to look at her and she uses it to her advantage. So yeah, she struts in and she immediately orders a drink that she then um, holds and sips throughout the entire night, pretending she's on her third or fourth, when in reality she's only had about half a drink. I was going to say that that rolls super nicely into the into the next question, which is what are they doing and how are they passing their time? But um, yes. but I'll 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 make it a little bit more pointed and like what's um, I understand where you're going with it. But but why why does she why is she kind of like nursing that glass? <laughs> because her goal and actually I can't say this because you're not in my campaign. Um, she is also a member of the Harpers which is a secret society bent on 
destroying the evil of the world, uh, but also just mainly wants information. Not even necessarily for power or for blackmail or any gain, but they just want to know everything. Um, so by nursing that drink, she can get other people drunk, which makes them easier to talk to, which makes it easier to get information out of. Very fair. <laughs> I, you know, taverns are taverns are a great place to get information, not just to relax and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. So, and when people are relaxing and enjoying themselves, they just they tend to talk. They talk. So. <laughs> yeah, and she is very good. Um, this is not something I'm very good at of letting people talk. But people tend to, if you are silent, people don't like silence. So they will fill the silence. And then they will just keep talking. Which my character, not me, my character is very good at just sitting back and letting people talk. As a fellow bad at letting other people talk (laughs) human being, um, I understand completely. (laughs) And I don't think I've played a character... I think I played one. I played like one barbarian who like just kind of smiled mm-hmm. and was like happy to be there mm-hmm. and didn't talk that much. And uh, it is amazing how much other people fill the space when you are not speaking. <laughs> yes, yes. Humans are very uncomfortable with silence. And um, it also helps because sometimes uh, the DM will say stuff that he's not 100% intentionally saying, but because. I'm not responding in the way he's expecting me to respond. He just then keeps talking and then it becomes canon because the DM said it. (laughs) (laughs) That is a manipulative and wonderful tactic on getting information out of your DM. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Because I DM once in a while and I will say I definitely, like, if the room is, like, waiting patiently for, like, more information... I will just start lore dropping, and it's such a problem, because I'm just like, and, and you know, and then, you know, this is canon now, and it's like, crap, why am I doing this? Right. I'm making my job more complicated. <laughs> this next question, obviously, is a little bit of a repeat, but I ask it because I actually try to describe it as, like, the elevator pitch. Mm. So you're telling somebody about your character for the first time. So in, like, a sentence or two, who is this character? Who is Rena? Like, how would you, how would you describe it to someone who either had never played D&D before, or just has never played with you before. Right. So, as I mentioned, she is a wood elf cleric, so she spent the first 200 years of her life in the library praying to the goddess Salune, um, but also training in archery, um, dagger throwing, and some spells. She is kind of, and I don't know if this will help a lot of people, but she is kind of a combination of Elana of Trebond from the Song of the Lioness series by Timora Pierce and Regina Mills from Once Upon a Time. <laughs> because this was my first character, I was a bit nervous to go completely on my own from the creative standpoint. So I just pulled from my two favorite fantasy characters of all time. And went with that. So she's arrogant, she's beautiful, she's versed in magic, and she does not have a lot of love for dwarves or humans. I realized that you, you mentioned that you um, it was your first time and that's why you were like more comfortable pulling from those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even people who have been playing for years, we still like, that's, that's one of the fun parts of this is we can take the favorite bits from characters that we know in pop mm-hmm. culture and literature 
and be like, I loved this character for XYZ reason, and I love this character because they looked cool, <laughs> and I'm just going to smash them together, and I'm going to make that my character now. Mm-hmm. And even if you start out as like a carbon copy of like Han Solo, for example, <laughs> you're influenced by like the other players at your table. So like, at some point, you're still going to become a new like, more unique character than what you, you know, yeah. even if you were like, I'm Han Solo, you can't ch- you can't change that. It's like, no, we'll change that. <laughs> yeah, it started out as 50-50 Alana and Regina, um, and then now as she is more 95% Regina, and the remaining 5% of Alana is the fact that she's a healer, but she doesn't heal that much, um, and she has red hair and purple eyes. The rest is just all Regina. Selective healing is important. It costs, like, spell slots. Mm-hmm. And it does. spell slots can be very important for other reasons. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I will say, for anyone who has seen Once Upon a Time, you'll get all the Regina references. But anyone who hasn't, um, Regina Mills, wonderful character, has one of the most rollercoastery <laughs> character arcs. She's just never finished baking. And I think is kind of a perfect example of, like, a D&D character. Mm-hmm. Just, like, you want a half-baked character who's always going to need a little bit more and a little more time mm-hmm. because, you know, you want to be able to, to be malleable and, mm-hmm. and, and morph with the story. And uh, I think Regina's a good starting <laughs> Yes. Also, I want to preface for anyone who's watched Once Upon a Time, my character does not have the horrendously tragic backstory that Regina does. My character has a very comfortable life. She has always had, you know, the thousand count pillow, the nice four post bed, the everything. Um, to the point now where she, if she's on the road, she will always sleep in the cart and not on the ground. See, I, I, I actually like that a lot because I would say uh, it's not a mistake, but a beginner a trope that people fall into is the is the tragic past character and there's something really fun about a character that's like i am bored mm-hmm. with this life like bad things have not happened to me nope. i would like to i want i want a little bit of chaos i want a lot of adventure mm-hmm. and i'm going to go out and do it versus because you won't fall into like the the silent character like the broody character Mm-mm. All your silence is intentional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she um, she does not. I wanted someone who could reasonably be the arrogant character, um, who's never known trouble in her life and kind of wants some bad things to happen to her, which is a kind of very twisted motive. But when you've lived 200 years and never heard anything bad happen to you, don't you kind of want some chaos in your life? Yeah, I, I honestly, I think it's a very, which is funny because of the way el- it, elves age, but it's a very, like, adolescent thing. Right, because she's like, 20. <laughs> yep. You, you think of that, you think of that, like, 18 to 20-year-old who's just, like, everything's kind of been smooth sailing, but you start acting out anyways mm-hmm. because you're just like, no, like... I, I want character growth. <laughs> I want I want to feel oppressed for a minute. <laughs> Pretty much. So I'm going to preface this next question with a little bit of information that I know um, because I like I like 
the way that, um, for anyone who doesn't know, I do pre-interviews because it makes my life a little easier. <laughs> um, but it also, it's good for communication, just like a session zero, zero is great for a D&D session. A pre-interview is really good for a podcast. Um, but, so the next question being is, what is the world that they live in and how does your character fit in or not? Um, I know that your campaign originally started out in the Forgotten Realms, like Faerun. Yes. And um, your DM has kind of morphed it a little bit since then. But mm-hmm. like in general, a lot of the the gods and the factions start like they're from the Faerun mm-hmm. Forgotten Realms. So anyone's playing Fifth Edition at the moment in those, you'll kind of get a lot of the references. Um, but if not, they're all available. And <laughs> yes. Uh, D&B, D&D Beyond is a wonderful resource, as well as the D&D Wiki, which I metagame all the time during my sessions. Um, oh, don't, don't tell me that. No. I don't let it influence what my character does. This is Ellen metagaming, not Rena metagaming. Under, understood. I've played board games with you for years, and I understand that sometimes just the 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 knowledge is important so that you can start focusing again on playing the game right um but my soul (laughs) i do constantly ask the dm of do i know this like is am i allowed to use this information what am i allowed to use and he is very clear as to what i'm allowed to use and what i'm not allowed to use so i hope that helps your soul uh, it does. It does, and that's a very good player trait. And I feel like anyone listening should. If it is fine to know information as a player, just make sure you are upfront with your DM and you do ask, like, "Hey, I know what a cyclops does. Mm-hmm. Does my character know?" <laughs> yes, I say that all the time. Um, but no. So this world is um, primarily human, I will say, but other races are not uncommon humans don't give you know second glances to dwarves or elves or halflings um we do have a giant in our party now and humans are giving him a second glance but um magic is also a known accepted thing um humans don't necessarily react poorly when they see magic happening um but once it happens in close proximity to them um, they will not necessarily freak out, but, you know, we'll definitely be like, okay, I got to go home and barricade my door because something, <laughs> something's happening. Um, yeah, no, there's a little bit of, uh, of NIMBY, n- not in my backyard, in, uh, in Faerun. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. I'm like, yeah, no, they don't, they don't freak out that magic is happening. They freak out that magic is, is happening next to them. I've gotten, my character has gotten definitely some up-downs and some glances, but as I mentioned earlier, she is wearing heavy armor with the symbol of Sulene on it, flaming red hair, purple eyes. Like, it's not the fact that she's a wood elf that she's getting second glances. It's the fact of what she is wearing that gives her the second glances. Plus, she, she's making a statement. She is making a statement. <laughs> she is not shy at all about being a cleric of Salune, because what cleric is shy about their goddess or god? Um, the only thing she really keeps secret is the fact that she's a harper, because that's one of the number one things about being a harper. Or the only thing about being a harper. <laughs> the first rule of Fight Club is... Precisely. <laughs> 
No, I love that. And I, I think it's uh, one of the fun things that I like is uh, even if um, we, we have talked to a lot of people and I have a lot of friends who play in fully home, homebrew worlds, which is great. And it's uh, like it's it's a really fun thing if your DM has the time and the resources. But when you do uh, talk to people who are like, yeah, my game exists in the Forgotten Realms. And then you start listening to their stories like it's like a completely different mm-hmm. story than what your game in the Forgotten Realms is. And it's... Uh, I don't know. It's a it's a good tool for anyone playing, anyone DMing to to be like it's okay to use <laughs> modules, it's okay to use the world state. Your game is still going to be just as creative and interesting as a fully homebrewed one and your DM might get a little sleep at night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to have two questions here. The first one is actually scripted, structured um, for the podcast. This is what we call story time. I really like to hear like uh, like a nat 20, a nat 1. It can be you. It can be another player. It can be, honestly, just any of that, uh, those kinds of, like, true successes or true failures that just had a great storytelling mm-hmm. moment behind it. The follow-up will be, it doesn't have to be a nat 20, nat 1, but, like, since playing D&D, has there been a cool moment uh, story-wise um, for your character that, that you'd like to talk about? Because I think... Um, I think as a new as a new player, it's kind of a, a really good uh, a really good question to ask. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I mentioned my quick nat twenty as my very first role in ever playing D anD. d So that has got to make um, the top five. That's probably actually my number two slot. Um, but my number one slot was um, earlier on in the, my current campaign. Um, I found this dagger of many daggers. Um, which is really cool. And basically what happens is when you throw the one dagger, you see X amount of daggers being thrown. The other players see Z amount of daggers being thrown, and your target is hit with Y amount of daggers. Um, Really trippy, really cool and very complicated to roll for. <laughs> However, there was one time where I rolled to hit, and one of my rolls was a natural 20. Um, and the DM said, okay, you hear a very loud bang, and you now have another dagger, many daggers in your hand even though I had already thrown one of them. So now in my inventory, I have two dagger of many daggers, Um, which is awesome. However, I am very selective as to when I use that dagger because the DM then said, now imagine if you rolled a one. So I'm, my guess, and my DM has not confirmed this, but my guess is that my dagger would disappear if I rolled a one. See, I've been speculating on this, and I wonder if it would disappear or if it would just become a dagger. Either way, like, I don't want to yeah, risk like it. It's... <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's... Uh, I just I love the chaos. Um, as, as someone who has loved playing a rogue, I have asked my DM if I could ever have this item. He has said no. <laughs> My, my follow-up question for you after the, the Nat 20, Nat 1 is um, is just if there's been any, uh, they don't have to be Nat 1, Nat 
uh, 20 stories, but uh, like any really cool character moments that just kind of solidified, like, I really like this game, or like, this is more <laughs> than just rolling dice. <laughs> yes. Um, so, this happened fairly recently. We were in a battle with a Shadow Dragon and some Shadow Kai and some uh, Devil Hounds. Um, the Unicorn Head died. However, I have a spell, which is Revivify, which means I can basically bring someone back to life who has died in the last minute. Now, Salune hates undead, but also she's of the life domain, so her number one priority is restoring life. So in my opinion, I'm not reviving them for for nefarious purposes of being an undead army. I'm reviving them so that they can continue to have life, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I find it okay to use this spell. Um, However, I was not going to make it to the unicorn within the minute. So, my favorite character, which we'll get to in later on, but my favorite character in my current campaign um, is played by one of my cousins, and she doesn't care to know, nor has taken the time to know, a lot of the D&D rules, which adds a lot of chaos and fun to the game. So she said, I have rope, I have a bow, I have an arrow, and I'm currently in a tree. What if I made a zip line from my tree to the unicorn that then Rena could climb and slide down? And my DM then was like, eh, roll for it. <laughs> um, so she passed her accuracy check. He didn't make her roll for damage because, you know, there was nothing to damage. So she passed her accuracy check. I then passed my acrobatics check to climb the tree to reach the zip line. Um, a fellow character passed their dexterity check to kind of not necessarily catch the arrow, but you know, like maneuver the arrow and tie it to make it a taut line. So then I then zip lined to the unicorn, cast my spell, revived the unicorn. And then the DM texted me privately. We have the D&D chat, and then, you know, we have the private texting. He texted me privately, and he's like, so the unicorn wasn't supposed to survive? <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't expecting all of you to pass, because he wasn't expecting all of us to pass, because he, we had to roll, like, five times. And somehow... <laughs> All five rolls passed. So the unicorn that he was planning on killing for storytelling purposes is currently alive. There is there is some magic in DNT storytelling for both characters that you did not think were going to live and characters that you did not think were going to die. That drastically <laughs> changed DM's plans and it's wonderful. Uh, it's chaos, but it's wonderful. <laughs> yes. And I just really appreciate, like, we haven't tried to pressure my cousin to learn the D&D rules, because if she knew the rules, she wouldn't have even asked the question of if this is possible. No, and that's... Because she doesn't know the rules, she just went for it. 
I, I think there's there is some fun there to be said. Obviously, like you know, having a having a basic understanding is good just for respect of other players at the table, but. Um, not constraining yourself to not asking questions, not trying fun things, because the like, I think I think the best thing about fifth edition is that they are called guides and they are not called rule sets. They are think of they them are more guides. like guidelines. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the that's a good way to do it and to remind your fellow players that like, sure, there isn't a rule on how you would do X Y Z. But you can ask, and you can try, mm -hmm. and your DM will then look at you and go, hmm, roll X. <laughs> right. Like, we'll, we'll see. I might make it three <laughs> rolls to see if it even gets off the ground, but, like, well, right. we can try it. <laughs> and to be fair, the DM has said no to probably 75% of this player's requests. That's... You know, see, they like they're they're keeping them in check. So right. I think I think it's I think it's great. And at the end of the day, and I brought this up on the podcast a couple times, but at the end of the day, as long as you like, as long as your crazy requests or uh, vice versa, as long as like you the limitations aren't stifling the rest of the table's fun, as long as everyone mm -hmm. is having a good time, it really doesn't matter. You can do no. crazy things. <laughs> yeah, and this character. Um... She's my favorite character in the campaign, besides me, of course. Um, so I'll probably talk about her a lot. But her name's Farron. The character's name is Farron. She's a halfling. Her crazy ideas are always for the benefit of the group. Which is why the DM is so willing to entertain them. No, and that makes sense because it's not it's not main character syndrome. It's not like oh, give me another mm -hmm. cool moment. It's like no, no, no. Like oh. this would be great for us, the group. Right. Right. Yeah. I can I can see tipping tipping my hat to that quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, now that we are done talking talking about arena by any means, but we're kind of into more of the uh, the character creation meat of the podcast where I like mm -hmm. to just kind of ask some questions. Obviously, you have Rena and Alana, so <laughs> but um, but I'm interested to have this conversation. I really like. I've tried to have something a little unique about every every person on the show so far, and and I like the the aspect that you're generally new to the game mm -hmm. and don't have as much of a backlog. So some of these questions are a little bit more like. Uh, I don't know, they're just fresh and they're new for you. So um, uh, everyone has their own process. Uh, how do you come mm -hmm. up with characters? Uh, and this can be for D&D or just, you know, when you're make, when you're like, I'm going to make this character and then I'm going to play them in Skyrim. Like, how do, you, <laughs> how do you come up with your character initially? So normally I pull, as we mentioned, from my favorite characters, Alana of Treebond, um, Regina Mills of Once Upon a Time, Maybe a little bit of Aragorn, and we are not getting into Strider versus Aragorn in this podcast, but a little bit of Aragorn, um, maybe a little bit of Minerva McGonagall from Harry Potter. Um, I usually pull elements from all of my favorite characters, and then I mash them together to create my own. Sometimes the individual elements are unrecognizable, and it takes only me explaining where everything came from for people to realize where I pulled from. And sometimes it's almost a carbon copy. It's just dependent on my mood when I create the character. 
No, I like that. And I mean, I think it's something that we all do inherently anyways um mm-hmm. and are just maybe like less less open about because um, you're like <laughs> yeah no, i don't no, care no, i didn't take this from this person and uh as someone i've admitted openly i basically made flynn rider as my first character so yeah uh, <laughs> there's no argument for that yep, it's just it's just there it's like some mix of flynn rider and strider and that's that's him that's who he right. is so <laughs> And, I mean, Strider is better than Aragorn. Aragorn's a terrible character. No, but, um, absolutely not. <laughs> this next question, I think, is uh, is definitely interesting, and I've got a, I've added a follow-up in there after you answer. But So how do you handle stats? Obviously, D&D is a game. Numbers are involved. You've got our, like, our six base stats um, that are all important, and then break it out into all their other different components. So how do you handle stats when you're building your character? Do they inform your character? Um, as in you decide on a build and then you build a character off of those stats, or do you let uh, your character then inform where you want those points to go? So I start with the character itself, and I start to build the character and the personality and the backstory and what I want that character to be. And then from there, I look at the stats of the game and see how I can use those stats to help my character achieve those goals. Um, So, for example, with Rena. Now, Alana, I will admit, your DM, also named Rob, helped me create that character pretty much 90%. (laughs) Because, A, we only had about 20 minutes to create the character, and he knew it was only going to be a three-, four-hour session with that character. So Rena Tara is my first, I count her as my first real character. I knew I wanted her to be a healer. I knew I wanted her to be magically inclined. And I also knew I wanted her to be kind of an information gatherer. And then from there, I talked to my DM. And I will preface this with my DM. This is the first time he's actually DM'd a game. But he's been a part of the D&D hobby, and he's read pretty much every D&D stuff for the past, like, ten years. So, yes, this is his first time DMing, but that's a little unfair to say, because he has so much knowledge about the world. Yeah, we love, we love first-time DMs. Anyone who ever wants to DM, <laughs> like, you will always have people who want to play in your games. That is the number one thing. We, <laughs> we need more DMs. Everyone should try it. It's a lot of fun. It's... It's only as hard as you make it. (laughs) Right. So he really, I talked to him more about, I gave him my character's backstory, my my character's personality, my character's influences, which he had no idea what I was talking about because he's never read Tim Moore Pierce or seen Once Upon a Time. Um, (laughs) And then from there, he helped me create the stats. So I put stats into persuasion, insights, um, healing, I don't know what actual stat that is, but wisdom, wisdom, that's what wisdom. it is. Yep. Wisdom, no, yeah. I, so I, put, it, I have a note for later. So. <laughs> I put stats into persuasion, insight, wisdom, um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I made my character in terms of, from more of a narrative point of view, and then I let my DM kind of determine the stats. And we negotiated. You know, it wasn't just him telling me what stats I have. He told me what stats he thinks I should have. And then I kind of, you know, we talked back and forth. 
Of course. No, and actually, so that was my follow-up question was, because, um, uh, A, I'm not sure how, how Robin, you did it for Alana, and then I'm not <laughs> sure how you did it for your campaign, but it sounds like um, for Rena, it was uh, your DM kind of had the stat block and uh, attributed them as he saw fit, but also asked you about them. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. And then with Rob, yeah. did Rob make you roll dice for stats, or did you... Um... No. No, okay, so there was just... Uh, there was just once again. It was very similar. It was a very similar situation, just condensed into twenty minutes instead of three days. Um, where I, my Alana character, is Alana of Trebond. Like, if anyone's read Tim Moore Pierce, which if you haven't, please do. Um, but if no one's read Tim Moore Pierce, Alana Trebond. Quick tangent. She's a woman in medieval times, fantasy medieval times. She doesn't want to be a nun. She disguises as her twin brother and goes off to knighthood training. Love it. Right. Uh, four books later, a lot of stuff happens. But <laughs> um, Alana in your campaign is Alana of Trebond. Like, I did not have time to come up with nuances of how she's different. So that made it very easy for Rob to just ask me questions of yeah. Alana's personality and everything like that. And then we determined the stats based on that. And then in my current campaign, I had more time to not necessarily roll for stats, but discuss them, negotiate them. I asked some questions where my DM was like, yeah, no, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> but then from that question, he was able to glean what I wanted for my character and was able to twist my question into a way that was possible. Uh, I honestly, I do love that. I think that for like starting players, it's a good way to kind of get your players into the game without starting to bog them down with like kind of what can seem like complexity of figuring out what stats you want, especially when you're like, I don't know what all of these things do. I don't know where I want to put these numbers, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, my question for you is, as a new player who hasn't necessarily picked their own stats in one of the three main ways that exist, um, which of these sounds the most interesting to you? Um, okay. And I will say, trigger warning to literally anyone who does stats, there's a million ways to do this, but like <laughs> the top, you know, the top three that exist, uh, there's rolling your stats. Um, which in previous editions, or at least at some tables, there was like, you picked, you were like, I'm rolling for strength, and then you roll that. Uh, rolling mm-hmm. for stats now is you basically roll like an array, and then you pick where that array goes. And it's, um, you roll four, and you drop one. So four d6s for each stat. And then if you rolled six, 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 one, you would take the three sixes. <laughs> it's like Yahtzee for stats, but it's really right. fun. You, and in a, there's a chaos element. Um, I will try not to force it because it is my favorite way because I like the chaos. <laughs> um, there is standard array, which is essentially there is an array of numbers. Um, you it, it, it creates very balanced characters um, who basically don't start off with, like, a crazy high stat or a crazy low stat, but you can definitely build a character that makes sense. Uh, and then there's point by, and in point by, you can have 
uh, for example, an 18, which gives you a plus four <laughs> in a stat. Um, or you can, ha- and in the same realm, if you have an 18, if you go for the plus four, you will have like a minus two in a stat. <laughs> um, as a cleric, having a minus two in dexterity is kind of common. Um, so, Correct. Well, uh, I think I have a minus one, but yeah. Well, then that's the thing. So I guess uh, uh, at at a really quick, really terrible pitch, uh, is there one of those three versions that kind of sounds the most interesting, interesting to you and why? <laughs> so to me personally, oh, my husband is delivering me another bottle of wine. Another bottle? See, I, I've just been embarrassed by getting through most of this bottle. <laughs> you got to keep up. I gotta make it through Sherlock. I can't. I can't go through two bottles of wine before Sherlock. Fair enough. I've seen Sherlock like fifteen thousand times. Um, my favorite would be letting the personality affect the stats, which is most likely point by. Um, in that you have your personality, you have your backstory, you have your character built, and now you're building the individual numbers, which is required for D and D. So you are not limited by the chaoticness of individual stat rolls. Um, now, that being said, that is definitely the most complicated way of doing things. So for new players or for players that don't necessarily care about stats and are just more interested in playing the game and then letting the, their stats influence how they play their game. I, re- I would recommend just straight-up dice rolling. See, I always recommend dice rolling only because I think one of the things that's just so fun about the game is the rolling of the dice. Like, the the, the like the chance, the, oh my god, I know what's coming. But I also mm-hmm. like, I like flaws in characters, so I like having really low stats for certain things and really high stats for other things. Um, but Point By works really well for that. Like, I can, it's, uh, I, I have said it before, I will say it again, hot take of like i i don't like standard array standard array is boring <laughs> it makes everyone kind of just way too even keel and mm-hmm. like i don't know you should be bad at something you can be great <laughs> at something but you should be bad at something and that's why i like point by if i have to if we're picking if we're doing a more structured system that has that has a little less chaos point by is the way to go just because i would like to be really bad at something i like having a dump stat i like having something Fair. like there, there are just so many good stories from failure in in D anD. d Like me um, not understanding heavy chainmail affects stealth. Exactly, and you like you know, but if you if you had all really good stats, like if everything was really good, even if you had disadvantage, you'd still probably get a plus two, and right. therefore you know your chances of failing failing are just they're they're low. And I don't know, that's not as fun to me. I no. I. I like playing the character who is too stupid to realize that they shouldn't, like, attack a guard. Like, I don't know. Right. There's a little bit of fun there. Obviously, don't be a murder hobo. Bad, bad thing for the table. <laughs> don't do it. No, there are... So, I don't want to say I'm overpowered, because I'm not. I am overpowered in the things that I have focused on. Mm-hmm. However, I do not do stealth. Um, I do not try to you know fist fight someone because my hand-to-hand combat i don't know what stat that is newbie player 
Um, but you know, like Strength. there are <laughs> there are things my character avoids because I have put my focus into other things. No, no, and I get that completely. And I, honestly, as someone who's played games with you before, and I, I don't mean this as a targeted question, um, I do think uh, a system like Point Buy would work best for you. If I, if I was running a game for you and we were playing, um, I would have you use Point Buy mm-hmm. only because um, I understand the play style of like wanting to be able to know what you're good at mm-hmm. and plan that. And um, I mean, we've played we played Gloomhaven, we've played um, uh, Elder Pandemic, Horror, Pandemic. We played a lot of these things, and there's and I get that to a degree, true chaos can actually make it really hard to enjoy a game if right. if you end up just being bad. Um, and some people find fun in that. Myself and other Rob are are big on the like. Sometimes you're just terrible, and that's fine. Um, no. But I get it, and it's a, it's an important playstyle to to acknowledge, and also from like a new player perspective, I think it's really important to be like, hey, if we want to make sure that our players come in and then feel really cool, because that's part mm-hmm. of the storytelling. So. Yeah, and I know this is a completely different game than what we're talking about, but one thing I love about Elder Tarer is you have you know the stack of characters is very thick; it's like twenty characters thick. And the stats are predetermined. However, you can flip through all 20 characters and pick the character with the stats that you want, which is basically point by without buying the points. Exactly. Yep. No, no, no. I, and and that's, that's honestly why I think, I think it makes the most sense that um, for the next character, because I assume you'll be continuing to play this wonderful game of D&D with as many people as possible. Um, yes. But, it is uh, my goal. Right? I mean, the, the problem is it's a, it's a fucking... It's a gateway drug. You just, <laughs> <laughs> to, to more D&D, but honestly, role-playing games in general. Um, I call Pandemic the gateway drug of our, our, our RPGs. So I will say, I think I have a note about this a little later, but um, one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on the podcast is actually, and, and this is just for anyone listening who likes to play board games, um, if you have, if you are the person, if you have friends at the table who just start injecting story into every game that you play, like this is why tabletop RPGs, this is why D&D that is, is a good outlet to consider. Um, Ellen and I... I would say from the start of us playing pandemic together have (laughs) injected storyline into (laughs) everything. And I mean, we have, we have backstories for our characters that we've played even before the legacy games existed. Like when it was just like (laughs) one-offs. I mean, the quarantine specialist, it wasn't she, like, in love with the medic or something like that? What you're talking about is the containment, like, I had the containment specialist who had, like, the romance with the fucking, um, bioterrorists. Yes! (laughs) And it was, like, a, it was a whole thing, and uh, (laughs) it was just really funny, because obviously, like, I played the containment specialist, other Rob played the bioterrorists, and it was just a... We, we, I mean, yeah, we, but like, we couldn't, we couldn't just play the game. Like it couldn't just be, we had to, we had to just inject stuff. And then when we did get to legacy, the legacy games, 
which I feel like if anyone needs a starter into tabletop mm-hmm. role-playing, you should play a legacy game. Uh, mm-hmm. Failure is built into it. Um, you have to just assume that you're going to lose some of the games and all your, your choices matter. Your stats are already built in. Yep, and it's just a great way to be like, hey, I'm going to play 12 to 24 games of this one board game, and I'm going to play relatively the same character each time, depending on choices. Because, uh, <laughs> like D&D, people can die. Um, yep. but, uh, but no, I feel like it starts to, especially when you're playing with the same people over and over, you do start to flex a little bit of those, um, like the, I miss playing pretend <laughs> concepts. For sure. Um, yeah. All right. We're going to scoop back. I've got more wine. <laughs> we're 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 gonna come back from the tangent, but I do hope I do hope there's someone who is like I love pandemic or elder <laughs> horror, and I'm so happy we talked about this. My question is going to be, what is your favorite stat? Uh-huh. Um, so there are uh, six main stats: <laughs> strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom and charisma at a really quick wisdom is your casting modifier wisdom is also your like um your perception and uh, an insight mm-hmm. uh intelligence is investigation so if you're like that table looks really interesting i would like to sort through that table that's where investigation comes in for intelligence mastermind rogues sherlock uh <laughs> the intelligence characters um Whereas wisdom, insight is more like looking at a person and getting a vibe, you know, like, oh, they look uncomfortable because they're sweating. Also Sherlock, but in a weird way, because, you know, charisma uh, is obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a presence of self. It is persuasion. It is also um, being able to use your presence to, to scare other people. Strength, pretty obvious. Um, but like (laughs) i can use the power of myself to do a thing um there's a really good i highly recommend just look up like dnd stats tomato and you will find there's a great breakdown of all these stats and like what they mean dexterity i'm gonna say as a cleric you probably don't have it uh dexterity would be like instead of climbing up the tree you're gonna like parkour from tree to tree Uh, (laughs) or and and then constitution which is like your actual self, so your health, your um, your ability to just like be contained in in a being. But what would your favorite set be? <laughs> so I think that's probably wisdom and constitution, with charisma and intelligence being a very close third and fourth. Um, constitution, because being an elf, I absolutely despise other people influencing my decision making therefore i don't want to be enchanted i don't want to be manipulated i don't want to be you know so that's where the constitution comes into play um and then the wisdom being the healing capabilities the able to read the room the you know all of that and then Intelligence also comes into play, obviously. But basically anything that allows me to stay me is the most important step. No, and, it, and it, honestly, it's it's really funny because I like that you're saying this and you're playing an elf because elves have fate ancestry, which basically gives you advantage on saving throws against being charmed. You can't yep. be like magically put to sleep, 
which has become a lore breaking moment in my main <laughs> campaign. Um, but uh, uh, but no, but the fate entrusty thing is really interesting, and it's not something that uh, it like it sort of translates to half elves, but like for like actual full elves, like you basically are just it's like no, you can't you can't just charm me. No, I... you can't change me. Um, funny story though, during my campaign. So we killed a shadow dragon, which I did not want to do because, side note, my character refuses to harm or kill dragons, except in self-defense, because dragons are older than elves themselves and have wisdom beyond belief and blah, blah, blah. So I, in this battle, I actually never attacked the dragon itself. Anyway, we ended up killing the dragon. And then stripping him of his meat. Funnily enough, the innkeeper's wife ate some of the cooked dragon meat and then ended up accidentally, I failed my wisdom saving throw, which side note, I have plus six to wisdom, still fails. So then I was charmed by the innkeeper's wife who was asleep, but exuding some charming effects because she ate dragon meat. Hmm. I ended up being able to shake it off because my DM was very kind and let me throw, let me roll a second wisdom saving throw. I mean, usually, usually wisdom saving throws aren't all or nothing. It is a, it is a continuous, like over time you keep getting, getting more and right. more, but it is, it is a good, it is a good thing. Trapping your players it can be fun, but also you don't ever... There is something about, like, all right, well, I have nothing to do now for the next portion of the session. Right. <laughs> Basically, all this charming was doing to me was making me really, really want to wake up this sleeping woman because what she had to say was the most brilliant, earth-changing thing in the world. It wasn't handicapping me. It wasn't, you know, preventing me from continuing. It was a very fun take on being charmed. But he didn't specifically say I was being charmed, so therefore my elvish fae ancestry did not take effect. Gotcha, gotcha. I think the reason the DM gave me a second wisdom throw... So the charming happened at the end of session... Let's just say 11. I have no idea. But let's just say 11. I mean, you've been playing and for then, a year. You, you, you have the stamp of approval of it doesn't matter anymore. Like, you're, you're in it. <laughs> right. So the charming happened at the end of session 11. And then I gave him shit for two weeks because I had been, you know, manipulated. And then at the beginning of session 12, he let me roll again. He let me roll an additional wisdom check. <laughs> just just a lot of how dare you basically <laughs> i um, am an elf <laughs> i am an elf i am immune to being charmed he's like no 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 you weren't charmed and he you know he was very good at manipulating the situation to his advantage which is a good trait to have in a dm but then he let me roll for wisdom and obviously with my plus six although i failed at that time that was a fluke because with plus six, it's pretty hard to fail. Yeah, no, I mean you're you're like 
even uh, so obviously a nat one is technically it's a failure and a skill check that's that's the point of the nat Mm. one but um but like a two is already an eight exactly and i'm pretty sure i rolled like a five on my second check which means i actually rolled an 11 and he was like okay yeah like you're good Uh, so while we're talking about about stats, um, before we move on to the next question, now that you have a slightly better understanding of stats, is there a stat you would consider what we call in the industry, the game, the hobby, uh, a dump stat? So you're you're picking your stats and you're just like, I don't care. That can be my bad one. Is there one that you're just like, every time, it's fine? <laughs> Not every time. Because um, as I've said, my character personality and history influences the stats um so i will most likely always pick a dump stat but the dump stat would depend on my character how i want my character to operate and behave within the group um speaking Personally, I would most likely honestly pick strengths as my dump stat if we're if you're forcing me to pick one. Forcing. Just, I am I am right. screaming at you. I'm saying, Ellen, you better pick right. this or you're just your episode's cut. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like nothing you would ever actually do. However, when it comes to that, I would most likely pick strengths because I kind of use um, RPG to be my escapism. And therefore, I want to be the character that gathers information not from intimidation, but more from manipulation and talking and making you come up with ideas that weren't actually your ideas. But you think they're your ideas? Inception. <laughs> Precisely. <clears throat> and therefore, strength would most likely be my dump stat. Nine times no. out of ten. <clears throat> That's fair. And I've had this conversation with a few people, and some people are there there are certain stats that are like, even if my character might not be good at it, I can't get rid of it because it's like something that I'm really good at and strength <laughs> tends to be a thing. And I was curious about it because I have watched you. People don't know Ellen. Ellen is a very multifaceted human being. Uh, <laughs> I have watched I have watched this woman free climb uh, a rock climbing <laughs> wall up to a point that went yeah, beyond I'm, my uncomfortable level. Like I'm going to correct you. The... I'm going to correct you. I was oh, not please. free climbing. I was roped in. You were roped in, but you could have fallen and splatted at multiple times, and I was concerned. <laughs> Which is why my husband was my belayer, because I trusted him to catch me should I fall. It, it was it was Laura Croft in the new games, like the the revival that they've been doing, which has been beautiful. But it was that that was what I was seeing, and I was just like, no, I'm just waiting for the moment where she falls, and I just hear fuck, fuck, shit, oh fuck. <laughs> from Laura, not from me. <laughs> um, all right, getting 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 back on track. I, I enjoy tangents quite a bit, honestly, <laughs> and I do feel I don't know. I was a fa- I'm a fan of the my favorite murder podcast, and I love that they do tangents, and that's that's what I. Sometimes you just want to hang out with your friends and listen to them talk. 
haven't touched on this before, and I know we like we've gone into how you have made your characters from starting points from from some of your favorite characters. But one of the questions I like to ask is, uh, what tropes did you pull from or avoid, and why? I don't naturally pull from tropes. I may pull from Tolkien, J.K. Rowling, Once Upon a Time, Timora Pierce. So those are probably my four fantastical authors. And I pull from the characters of those shows slash books because I pull from those four tropes. Odds are I have pulled from fantastical tropes in general. It's not intentional. It's yeah, just no. It's not. Yeah, it's not top of mind. You are right. you're making characters based off of things that you enjoy, but your your concept isn't like I want to be, I want to be the brooding rogue. I want to be right. the righteous paladin. I want no. to be. It's no. just. It's just I am pulling from said character and whatever tropes said character has. I am accepting that as a facet of me pulling from said character. No, no, no. And I think, I think that makes complete sense. I will, as a follow-up, is there anything when you're building a character that you would try to avoid? Any story story arc or, or character type that you're just like, I don't want to play that. That doesn't sound interesting to me. Or, or, or um, it seems problematic. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't super come into play with D&D, but... I would 100% avoid the love triangle trope. <laughs> hey, yeah, first off, this uh, every table, again, session zero is important. Romance can exist in D&D. It's fine, whether it's NPCs, whether it's player to player. Like, it, that can be a thing. So I understand maybe <laughs> wanting to avoid the love triangle. Maybe saying gonna get involved in all that like that's a that's fair <laughs> yeah i story building character building world building for my current campaign there is this halfling grandmother who basically runs the town of Fandolin. and if you're paying attention to fifth edition D, you know Fandolin is a pretty important town not as important as neverwinter but still pretty important she she knows everything that is happening to everyone at any given time. I love this woman. <laughs> she is I, I... amazing. Um, her name is Quillen, and she is awesome. With that in mind, one of her number one priorities is to set people up. So she... I use that to my advantage to try to get an introduction with my character and Wade Clark, who is one of the um, landowners and rich people of the town of Fandolin. And I wanted information out of him, so I let this character Quillen believe I was interested in meeting him. I did not tell her why I was interested in meeting him. It worked because she thought I was looking to, you know, go on a date with him. After all this happened, I texted my DM and I was like, just so you know, my character has zero interest in romantic involvement in <laughs> anyone or anything. And he was like, yeah, understood. You were, you were manipulating the halfling into getting a meeting. And I was like, yes. Um, and it worked. I got the information I wanted and then we moved on. But yeah, I, I've always hated the love triangle trope. 
it's just been overused and and it, I think it slight tangent here but I think it probably comes from the adaption of the sixth Harry Potter book Half-Blood Prince which the book is all about Tom Riddle's backstory aka Voldemort's backstory Horcruxes Dumbledore's connection to the Horcruxes Harry's connection to the Horcruxes all of that and the book is fascinating and is essentially Deathly Hallows part one and then the movie was just like, let's remove all of that and make it a love triangle between Lavender Brown, Ron Weasley, and Hermione Granger. I think that's where my hatred for love triangles, like, really come from. No, 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 and I get that. And honestly, love, love like, a love triangle in a cooperative tabletop RPG, I think the important part is, is buy-in. So if, if we started a campaign and Rob me and you all decided at the beginning. We're like, all right, here's the interesting thing about our characters is there's a love triangle. And right. we built that. That could be fun. And that as long as different. The, yeah, no, but then that's the thing. So like our DM was involved. We were cool with the characters. Like we decided and we were going to use that to influence things such as like, say I was the cleric, but I knew that you and Rob were kind of in this will they, won't they? And I was part of this will they, won't they? It's like, hmm, maybe I'm not going to revive Rob. (laughs) And and sure, it's vindictive, but it's interesting. And it's like, uh, but but again, there's buy-in, and that's really important. And I understand why you'd want to avoid that trope. Avoiding anything that I would say stilts the party and Mm -hmm. stilts, like, you know, the story as a whole. Tropes that lead to main character syndrome, such as I am the chosen one. Um, which is hard to tough like it's like all right but we can't have six avatars in the same campaign <laughs> yeah that's the only trope i would actively avoid every any other trope that i would have my character fulfill would most likely be accidental but i am pulling from pop culture literature film which obviously relies on tropes so therefore, any trope that I fulfill is accidental. No, 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 and that's and that's completely fair. And honestly, the reason I ask this question is more often than not because I don't think tropes are an issue. I I think at the end of the day, art informs art. Even Tolkien is building off of things that he knew, things mm-hmm. that he saw. But tropes exist. Tropes have gone through speaker storytelling, and that was how we passed on history. We have, we have brought tropes down, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with them. The problem is when you can't let your character be anything outside of, like, a, a box you put them in. Yeah, agreed. And, and, I, and I would say I, I really love your, I love the Tolkien influences that you have. I love, I love everything um, from Tolkien. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just been, uh, it's, always, it's always interesting because I feel like there are so many tropes that have come from his works mm-hmm. um, that, like, as much as he, like, pulled from other influences, there's a lot that has come uh, in a positive spin from him um, that we now, like, in storytelling, use constantly. Um, I mean, oddly enough, this is a super, super niche thing, but just the fact that dwarves stereotypically have a Scottish accent... It's from Tolkien. There's a big thing just across D&D, which is, like, having dwarves that don't have Scottish accents. Right. 
And it's just insane that, like, dwarves have a Scottish accent is from Tolkien. I, I feel like a lot of people's first breach into true fantasy is the Lord of the Rings or, or the Harry, Hobbit. Like, or Harry Potter. But or yeah. Harry Potter. And I will say, in the generation, like, you know, in our generation, like, it, is, it was definitely a thing. And one of the cool things about both series as far as the movies went the books were great for our generation because they came out as we grew up right but as the movies came out was again as the generations grew up so there was Mm -hmm. something about the narrative aging with us yes in the same way that like the first harry potter is not as dark or scary as like the last the like the or Lord the of the Rings <laughs> is uh, the Fellowship is not as intense or dramatic as the Return of the King. <laughs> the most fun part of this, but also the biggest problem, was and at some point it was going to lead to me drinking wine with one of my best friends, which means we were just gonna get on weird tangents. But I feel like as the as the the mid-season finale of of the first the first uh, foray into this podcast. This is a great one. My question for you, and it's it's gonna be about Rena, but it really could be about any character you build. Okay. Um, if you it, you know want to get into it, but is this character like you or different? And like, why do you play them? I don't think my character is really anything like me, which is one reason why I play them. No, so my character is is able to get information out of people by disarming them with charisma and general patience. And I don't think you can argue that I am a patient person. <laughs> no. <laughs> no argument. <laughs> no argument. Agreed. And as I said earlier, she is patient by human standards, but impatient by elf standards. And I make that distinction purely so that I am willing, so that my personal impatience is not canon breaking. Obviously, you've read some of this, but we both play like The Witcher. And there's something really interesting about the elves in The Witcher as far as patience goes. Like, waiting, waiting 20 years is not a big deal. But, like, you can still be an impatient elf. Right. <laughs> you only want to wait 20 years. You don't want to wait 100 years. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, I just, I remember Thanduin from The Hobbit saying, 100 years is a blink in the eye of an elf. I am patient. I can wait. And if anyone wants to challenge me on the accuracy of that quote, I am willing to accept <laughs> that challenge. But anyway, in that matter, Rena is willing to wait 20 years, not 100 years. So yes, I play Rena as a very, by human standards, patient person. She is willing to hold her tongue when necessary. She is willing to bide her time. And she's willing to take the time to perfect a skill. Me, Ellen, (laughs) if I'm not perfect at something on the first try... I get annoyed if I am not getting the answer I want on my first question. I get annoyed. All that means I am basically, Rena is basically in an ideal world who I want to be as a human, but not. 
So I will say there's something really interesting about wanting to play an elf, but for the sake of getting rid of very human traits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, impatience is a human trait. Uh, we, especially when you're balanced against races that live for, I mean, dwarves are like 250 plus, and then you have <laughs> elves who are just like a thousands, like the average. Like, so there's something to say about wanting to be someone who's patient relatively um mm -hmm. someone who can can utilize time as an aspect or can uh also just be like hey i'm not gonna get it right right away when we feel like we're always rushed and when you're telling it in a story where you as an elf are still impatient you're just not impatient on the levels that we are used to it's like hey i want to be different but I also want to showcase impatience, and that's important. Like, and there's something really cool about that because you're still you're still playing something that you're relatively used to, but it's only to your your fellow elves, not mm -hmm. to not to the people you're playing with at the table. Yeah, I'm still I still take the impatienceness of myself so that I'm able to play the character, but I exaggerate it. I exaggerate it in terms of elf standards. So instead of waiting, you know, half a second for a human to respond to my question, I wait five minutes. Yep. And that that's how I, you know, kind of take my impatience as myself and use it as an elf. While a, not, a patient elf would wait 10 minutes for a human to respond. But my character only waits five minutes. Honestly, I think I, I ask this question all the time just because I think it's a I think it's a fun question. I think you can learn a lot about someone about the D and D character that they play or characters that they try to play. But I ask this question because at the end of the day, it's really fun to like explore traits that we admire, but also traits that like that we just don't we just don't understand. Uh, I have I have played tried to play a couple characters that I'm just like this makes absolutely no sense to me like I am just not that person I will never be that person but I want to try to get in their headspace and I'm gonna play that character so um, I highly recommend making choices in D and D in role playing games that either you admire that maybe you don't do or that you just don't you just don't quite understand right because it, it helps round out your perspective yes and for all the harry potter fans listening right now i have been sorted into hufflepuff which means one of my defining traits is that i value patience now heavy emphasis on the value value <laughs> patience that does not necessarily mean I have patience, which is where my character of Rhea Tara comes in, because I am not a patient person. Yes, patience is a value of mine, but one that I don't necessarily inhabit, but therefore I want to play someone who is patient. I, I really like that, and I do, I, I do love the playing a character that... 
has traits that you value that you would like to aspire to there is something there's something about like hey i haven't been able to get this get to this in my current like state like life is life is tough um we've all we've all dealt with a three-year almost pandemic like there, <laughs> there's a lot going on in life and it's it's hard to grow but there's something about experimenting through rpgs tabletop rpgs communication with friends storytelling where you're like hey i can get in this headspace and i can try and i can remember why i like this trait so much right so it's a trait i, I value but don't possess myself Uh, my next actual podcast question is going to be, uh, what about building this character do you, uh, uh, do you enjoy the most? So I think I really like taking what I know about my character, personality and personal history, and translating that into stat building. And saying, okay... She has experienced a lot of, let's say, healing capabilities. She has healed a lot in the past couple of sessions. And therefore, she is more versed in healing than she was a month ago. So I'm going to put those points into healing. So before we jump into our wrap-up, you obviously you jumped into a game that Rob and our group of, was playing. And that was your first dip into D&D. Um, but since then... You have been approached to play this current game that you've been in for about a year. Mm -hmm. But the really interesting thing that I think about is um, this is a game that you're playing with family members. Correct. So it's a it's a new way for a group of your family members who might not have had as much communication as they're currently having are are now using to like reconnect. And I find mm -hmm. that super interesting. So I just um, you know any any information that you're willing to to share on that, but like you know. What 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 is really cool or interesting about about playing with your your family members and family members that might be a little bit more distant than you're than you're used to? Yeah, for sure. So I will admit I am much closer to my mother's side of the family than I am with my father's side of the family. But this current D and D session is with my father's side of of the family. Um, the children of my father's siblings. So the past couple of years, I've spent Christmas and Easter and birthdays with my mother's side of the family, which means I haven't really been able to connect with my father's cousins or the cousins on my father's side. And this D&D &D session, which is with the children of my father's siblings, meant that I was able to connect with the cousins on my father's side. And that has been super refreshing and super nice because I've been able to realize how much I love the cousins on my father's side. And it's not from, you know, personality or anything like that, that I haven't realized that it's just from been from sheer lack of communication. And it's been really nice to be able to realize oh, I have this entire other group of family that I can connect with. I think a new thing that a lot of people found, um, 
strangely during the pandemic there was a way to reconnect with people through tabletop mm-hmm. rpgs yeah. a lot of people started games with their families because they were the only people they were seeing and it's mm-hmm. it was just really cool that you connected with a whole portion of your family that you were less connected with through this game mm-hmm. so yeah and we connected i mean it was summer 2021 so it's been exactly a year pretty much I don't know the actual date, but, you know, it's been about a year. It's been very nice to be able to be like, oh, wait, I haven't talked to you for 10 years. Not an exaggeration, by the (laughs) way, but I actually like you. And I want to learn about you and I want to know what you're doing with your life. And it was like a really good way to connect with the side of the family that I hadn't connected with in a very long time. I mean, at the end of the day, that's how we're really doing at the table. And, like, sure, like, we're mm-hmm. playing characters and we're doing things, but we're we're trying to connect with people we want to connect with more and telling a story together. And it's, it's I don't know, it's a mm-hmm. lot of fun, but it's also just very rewarding. It is. And, I mean, the first, like, half an hour of any D&D session, which happens every other week, by the way, um, is basically us just catching up. Not even delving into the storyline of what we're currently doing. But, you know, one of my cousins just switched jobs. So we were talking about why he switched jobs and what he, you know, what and what he liked about his new job. Um, My other cousin just graduated from college. So it was about congratulating him on that very huge achievement of graduating college. Um, And it's just. The first half an hour of every session is just a very familial, connecting experience. Literally anyone who's ever played D&D knows that you don't just, like, start the game. Like, it is <laughs> always... Unless you... Unless, like, previously you ended on a really big high note and you were just like, no, 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 we're going to get right fucking into it. Like, it's all and almost always, like, a yeah what games are you playing or how have you been or what's how's the job going Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of there's a lot of catch-up at the beginning so i get it yeah for sure it's it's been really nice because there's a lot of divisiveness and it's been nice to cut through that and find the common ground become friends and just kind of talk in a very casual way I mean, finding 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 a common ground through storytelling is just without sounding uh, overly metaphorical or or lame, but like it it, <laughs> it it is beautiful. Like it's a really nice it's a really nice thing to be like, hey, through storytelling, we found a place where we can all connect. So, right. Moving into the wrap up, we've got a few few more questions, but uh, I like to I like to use these ones just to uh, kind of send it home. Overall, um, what got you into RPGs, character building, and and what about it? Uh, do you enjoy the most? I can't pinpoint an exact moment that I got into RPGs. I remember when I was little, I wrote stories that no one will ever see. <laughs> but... I wrote stories, I would create characters and names and all of that from a very young age. If I had to pinpoint an exact moment that I like fully, fully accepted the fact that I liked RPGs, it must have been Skyrim. 
Because once again, that was my first RPG game. That was my first real video game. Because before that, I had played Mario Kart and Wii Sports. I mean, those are games, Ellen. I mean, I understand that they're not storytelling games, but like, if you can actually get to a reasonable place on Mario Kart, because I'm still bad. (laughs) Oh, I had a gold medal in every single thing. But anyway, my very first storytelling game was Skyrim. So I think that is kind of the, like, turning point. I've always been into RPGs and character creation and character building, and I just love the ability to take your ego and your id and translate that into a playable character. Some of the first conversations we had outside of red wine in Italy... um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, actually worry about your Skyrim character, and it's why I've always thought you were going to be a good guest on this show. You did not talk about a Skyrim character in the way that I knew a lot of people talked about their Skyrim characters. You talked about your Skyrim Mm -hmm. character in the way that I thought about my Skyrim character, which was, who are they? Why are they doing what they're doing? And Skyrim leaves a lot of room open for that. They They don't tell you who you are. You're not forced into anything. And you're just thrown into a world. Mm-hmm. And I and I just, I remember listening to you talk about your Skyrim character and, like, fleshing out this world and this life. And I was just like, no one told you to do that. No one asked you to add that depth to your character. But we could probably be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I, I love, absolutely love the background story of character building and the stats are a supplemental element of the background no when i i mean i honestly like because i feel like the background just influences choices and when any game that you have choices you want to have a background because you want to know what you're what you're kicking off of so if someone's mm-hmm. asking you to choose between life or death, it's like, oh, well, how do you feel about life and death? How do you how do you feel about the balance? Um, if someone's asking you to choose between right. helping, like, the person who has been stealing from the ship or the ship captain, how your character feels about, like, the inequality is important. Like, those, those are... Right, and my character is of the life domain, mm-hmm. which means her primary goal is to preserve life. And regardless of the things that character has done within their life, doesn't 100% matter. Because their goal is to preserve life. And that means, you know, the character stealing from the ship and the character who is the ship captain have the same weight in the preservation of life. So, uh, just moving on through our wrap-up questions, uh, what do you love about D&D, and what surprised you about it? I've always been a board game fan, and I like having the set rules as guidelines. Human nature does not like open-ended questions. We like to have limits. And having the rules of the board game presents limits. Um, now that you have the debate of rules as written versus rules as intended, but that's an entirely other podcast <laughs> willing to fill an entire season. 
So what I love about D&D is just the sheer chaoticness. You can have goals, the DM can have rules, the general world can have rules. But at the end of the day, the DM is God and the players try to manipulate the rules. Like there's nothing in the rules that says you can't create a zipline. No, and throughout throughout the history of D and D, uh, there have been some and some editions which are more guidelines, and some editions that have been less. But at the end of the day, fifth edition has really gone to storytelling and the D and D's con- the DM's control. And I get it, and honestly, I feel like it's brought more people into the fold because the rules exist, but the rules exist to support storytelling, not to detract from storytelling. Um, right. Which is which has been very helpful. We've been drinking. We've been having a good time. I like to raise a toast to another character. Um, and I, you've talked quite a bit about this character, so I think I know who you're going to talk about. <laughs> but um, but what is another another character you played with, whether you were um, in a game with them or you just, like, you remember them? But, like, who is someone that you think is a great character? It's a character I've mentioned multiple, multiple times. It's played by my cousin. The character's name is Farron. She's a halfling. I don't know what class she is. I think ranger, but not positive. Essentially, she's Merida from Brave. Like, that's the best description I can give. (laughs) She is um, impulsive. She's good with an arrow. And she mainly just wants to sit back and eat apple pie. So Farron is Merida. And... Um, my character, Rina Taria, has kind of, over the course of the past couple months, adopted the role of babysitter of Farron. In that there was this one instance, we were in a dungeon, this creature came out of the shadows. Unfortunately, Farron rolled the highest initiative. Um, and as you may have gleaned, I like talking to enemies before outright attacking them. Um, but, you know, so I was like, okay, can I, like, quickly, this doesn't count as an action, because it's all of half a second, can I put my hand on Farron's shoulder? Alright. Right. The DM allowed me to do that, out of initiative order, because, you know, it's it's a very quick thing. Um, and Farron understood that as don't shoot. <laughs> However, then the monster started to come towards us. And I was like, okay, I released my hand from Fanner, from Farron's shoulder. And then now we're in full initiative order, and Farron was like, yeah, I shoot that MFR. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just kind of become this Rena is the impulsive distractor that Farron needs. And sometimes I let that impulsiveness be full force. And other times I put my hand on her shoulder and I wait for the situation to develop. <laughs> and I just I I have a very soft spot. Rena Tara has a very soft spot for halflings. But specifically, has a soft spot for Farron. No, and I think that's great, and I I love it because it's a uh, it's a great way to really invest yourself in the rest of the table 
because you're not going to be that person who's waiting for their turn because you are invested mm-hmm. in someone else at the table's turn as well. And, mm-hmm. and that's just always good because the our characters are great, but it's not our character is the main character. It's our party is the main character, and that's the important part. Right. So that's the podcast. Uh, thank you again <laughs> for joining me. I will never, of course. I will never turn away drinking drinking a bottle of wine with you. That is always uh, that always is a joy. I'd love to do it in person soon. Um, me too. But uh, I mean, it says being fifteen hundred miles away does put a damper on that respect. I mean, again, if we just had like a direct flight, it would make it a lot easier. I. <laughs> We'll, we'll figure it. We will, we will have a drink together very soon, I'm sure. Yes. Soon enough. At the end of the day, um, this was We Met at a Tavern. Thank you for joining us. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're looking to follow us in any way, shape, or form, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all as at We Met in a Tavern. And then if you have any questions or you want to submit things that you would like us to ask our guests, uh, we are we met in a tavern podcast at gmail.com. If nothing else, uh, we are excited to uh, we're excited to be here and we're happy that you're listening and, uh, you know, keep following. So thank you very much and uh, have a good day. Thanks for joining me, Ellen. <laughs> thank you. It was a lot of fun. Of